This is Jules, lead pastor of TFH Oakland. We exist so that people far from God can experience a fulfilled life in Christ. For more information on how you can stay connected, follow us online at TFH Oak or visit us at tfhoak.church. We're starting uh, our second part of our series called The Quest, uh, and this is really a you didn't know this, but this was really a way for us to literally center our hearts, what our church is really about, and to talk about the mission that God has called TFH Oakland on. Did anybody grow up in the 80s? Is there any 80s babies in here? Oh, man, come on, just like a millennial, just quiet. No, come on, 80s, anyone born in the 80s? There we go. I'll even take it to the 70s. Anyone born in the 70s? All right, 60s, we got some 60s? Oh, all right. Thank you, Keisha, holding it down. Oh, any 90s babies here? All right, all right, I see where we at. 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 That's awesome. I was born in 80s, 85, keeps it alive. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, Ninja Turtles, Cowabunga. Super cool. The other day, uh, we had the opportunity of having our kids experience Ninja Turtles for the first time, so I felt like a very proud father to indoctrinate my children in the gospel of Michelangelo and Leonardo, Donatello, and Raphael. I love it. So it's awesome. So this series really is a throwback. It's paying homage to all of those 80s video games, but it really has something very literal and something spiritual for us, is that whether you believe it or not, that you're on a quest, you're on a journey. And I don't know if you're a Lord of the Rings fan. Anybody love Lord of the Aragon? I'll speak some Elvish to you real quick. Just a funny quick story. This has really nothing to do with my, my sermon. But I remember when uh, Lonnie and I were first dating and I would come over to her apartment. And uh, every time I would come over, she would have Lord of the Rings playing. True story. And I would like sit on the couch and she would be in the corner like cooking noodles and like in the Smeagol accent. My <laughs> I was like, wait a minute. Then I was like, my baby's so broke, she can't even afford Hulu. I got to get her some Netflix. No chill, though, but I got to get her some Netflix. But it was funny because she loves Lord of the Rings, and so I'm more of a Matrix kind of person, so that's just the way that it flow. But if you, if you watch any of those movies, there's always this epic tale and this journey of this crew that really should not be together. They're really not fit to work together, but somehow through their differences, they come, they come together, they collaborate, they defeat the dragon, they overthrow the evildoer, whatever it takes, and they go on this epic journey as a community, as a collective, because there's something in each and every one of us that loves those kind of stories because that's what God is creating in our lives, that we're on this quest. And guess what? You cannot defeat the dragon. You cannot overcome the obstacles that are in front of you by yourself. And last week we discussed that God actually puts pain and he allows pain in our lives, but it's your responsibility to give that pain a purpose. Because if you don't give pain a purpose, it will repurpose you. And you'll find yourself in that same cyclical relationship where it's a new face and a new number, but the same attitude, the same mentality. If you don't recognize that God may allow it, he's not the author of it, or you may even have been self-induced pain. You may have put yourself in that situation, but if you put purpose to it, if you give that pain a name and say, you know what, this is no longer going to hold me back, but this is actually a reason why God can use me. And now not only is that pain going to help me get to the next level, but I can leverage that pain to help someone else. See, while you're on your quest, you thought you were just broken and making mistakes, but in the cans of God, God can take those mistakes and he can reformat it, he can repurpose it, he can refabricate those things in order for us to get confidence and trust that we can see God can work even in the midst of the most broken situations. 
And today what I want to challenge you is this, is because we live in a culture that really we can be a part of a crowd, but we really don't know how to create community and life-giving relationships. Or we find ourselves in the same relationships that actually subtract and distract us from being able to fully fulfill the quest that God has placed on our lives. If there was ever a person in all of history, it would have been Jesus that didn't need anyone to complete the purpose of God on his life. I mean, he had it. He's walking down the streets, water in the wine. What you want? You sick? Healed in my name. Amen. I mean, like, he doesn't need anyone. He has the full endowment of the power of God. But guess what? Even Jesus himself decides that he is not going to fulfill the quest of God over his life by himself. And so in Mark chapter 1, we see that John the Baptist, the cousin of Jesus, makes this, this triumphal entry, this moment of time where he begins to say, the Son of God, the King of Kings, the perfect life ever to be lived is now here today. And he is the Son of God. That God allowed the fullest expression of his love to be embodied by this person, this man, by that we know of Jesus. And if there was ever a liberator, not only of, of segregation of women, it was Jesus. Because Jesus walked with women and says, girl, you good, let's build the kingdom of God. There was a person from Africa that helped carry the cross. Now, we're talking about black history right now. You thought you was going to come in here, we just going to forgive February black history? I had to incorporate that. I may throw Rosa Parks at you in a minute. But Jesus was a liberator. And he says, I'm not going to complete the will of God on my life by myself. So the question I have for you is, why are you trying to do it? If Jesus, the full one of God, the anointed one, the Christ means anointed. That means he had the power of God on his life. If he chose to walk with others, why do we live and try to fulfill the quest of God in our own strength? And there was a moment in Mark chapter 2, which we're going to read today, which I think is so good. And I want you to see yourself in this text. But in Mark chapter 2, we get this story of a man who is a paralytic. He is a man that probably has suffered some kind of trauma, and he is no longer able to walk. He's no longer able to move. But a group of friends come, and they join with him on this quest. And so if you're taking notes, the title of my sermon today is called Borrowed Faith. Borrowed Faith. And let's read and kind of jump in of what's going on. It says in verse 1, when Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. Soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no more room even outside the door. While he was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd. Everyone said because of the crowd. You didn't say that loud enough. Say because of the crowd. Oh, I felt good. I felt good. I felt good. It says this. So they dug a hole. Can you dig it? So they dug a hole. Through the roof above his head. Then they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. See, in their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, my child, your sins are forgiven. But some of the teachers of religious law who were sitting there thought to themselves, what is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. They don't know this, but Jesus is actually showing them something. That he is fully God and he has the ability to forgive sins and to remove shame and to strip us. But I love this and I want to pay attention to this is that Jesus does not just speak to his condition. He doesn't just speak to his trauma or his pain. He speaks to the condition of his soul. That he is separated from God and Jesus not only wants to heal us externally. Jesus not only wants to bring alignment into our finances, in our marriage, in our relationships. But Jesus wants to bring alignment into our relationship with God the Father. And so Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. And he shows even to these religious teachers that he is the only one that has the power to forgive us. 
And Jesus moves on and he says, but some of the teachers of the religious law who were sitting there thought to themselves, what is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. But Jesus, with that Jesus swagger, knew immediately what they were thinking. So he asked them, why do you question in your hearts? Is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven or stand up, pick up your mat and walk? So I will prove to you that the son of man, this is a title that Jesus says about himself, that he is the son of man, has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, stand up, pick up your mat and go home. And the man jumped up, grabbed his mat, walked through the stunned onlookers. They were all amazed and and praised God, exclaiming, we never seen anything like this before. I love this. Jesus says, not only can I forgive, forgive your sins, but he says, pick up your mat, go home. I got you. And the Pharisees, they're, they're perplexed. They're, they're fixated. And everyone begins to exclaim, wow, Jesus can only do these things. And I love this is because, believe it or not, we are in this story. We can either be the friend, we could be the paralyzed man, or even in our own, in our own self, in our own critic, we could be the onlooker that says, there's no way that that God can forgive me, or there's no way that Jesus can do these things. But I would, I would dare to say, and I would love for you to, to think about this, that at some point in our walk with God, on our quest, we all are laying in a mat paralyzed, incapable of getting to Jesus by ourselves. That at some point we need some help, we need someone to come alongside of us to help us get to Jesus. And there's a couple of things that I want to expound upon and and kind of unlock because I believe that if we're going to be the church that touches Oakland, you see, our mission at TFH Oakland is this. We believe everyone deserves the right to experience the love of God, even if they don't believe what what we believe, even if they don't agree with what we agree. We believe that everyone should be honored, but we also believe the remedy to to the crisis that we see in our city, in our economy, the crisis that we see in our government is not another program, but it's a family. It was always God's plan A to restore family, to restore men and women in the view and value that God sees them. And that's what the church is responsible for, to be able to create family and community. But we believe that also that God called us to live a fulfilled life. That means there's gift, there's talents, there's resources, there are abilities. And when you take that outside the context of God, outside the context of family, you can become successful, but also very lonely. But if you want to live fulfilled, you place your gifts, your talents, your resources, who God created you to be. You place that in the context of God and say, God, let me be used by you. And you say, how can I serve others? And that's when you begin to live fulfilled and you see the quest continue to take an inch and inch day by day as you live that fulfilled life. And Jesus calls us to do the same. But before you got here or how you got here is not the most important. The question that we must ask ourselves is who's going to get us to the next place? Who's going to get us there? And I love this because Jesus uses this story for our lives today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and we ask God that you would speak to us. I pray, Lord, if there's any paralysis spiritually, physically, Lord, relationally, emotionally, that God, that you're the one that heals. And so we pray, Lord, for your healing power to be available today. And we ask this in Jesus name. And everybody said, Amen. Has anyone ever needed to borrow something? Raise your hand if you've ever had to borrow something. Come on, what's the weirdest thing that you've had to borrow? Someone throw something at me. Some money, that ain't weird. Sometimes, hey, you could let me borrow some money right now. What's the weirdest thing? You guys are, what's that? Some socks, ooh. Gingivitis of the toes, I don't like that. I'm not borrowing socks. There's some things you shouldn't borrow, like a boyfriend, you shouldn't borrow a girlfriend. You know, yeah, just, uh, just trying to help you out here. 
Come on, somebody got something. What's the weirdest thing you've had to borrow? Come on. Underwear, some drawers, okay. The struggle is real. Don't know what got you there, but who will get you there? You know what I'm saying? Bringing it back. Anybody else? I heard somebody over here. What else? A plunger. <laughs> okay. <laughs> got to do what you got to do. One more. Anybody got something really weird that you had to borrow? Come on. We're all family here. You can trust us. What's that? You said shoes? A broom. I thought somebody said a room. I was like, wait a minute. We try not to do that. Hey, I need to borrow your room real quick. All right. <laughs> You know, I was thinking about uh, many times I've had to borrow things. It could have been sugar. It could have been a lawnmower. I've had to borrow a, a number of things in my life. But I believe a good friend is measured by their ability in which they allow you to borrow something. You know that you have a good friend when they, you could call them up, hey, I need 20 bucks. Vimo me real quick. Like, what are you doing? I like those friends. You could borrow something and they don't even ask questions, right? They just incognito let you borrow stuff. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I like those kind of friends that just let you get away with stuff. They're with you, ride or die, let you borrow stuff. I like that. And I think there's moments where we've all been in that situation where we've had to borrow something. Maybe you've had to rent a car and you had to borrow a car. And there's that thing, whenever you rent a car, I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but it's the residue of the previous renter that still remains in that car. Just a, a slight stench, a, a slight funk that remains in there. Maybe they messed up the radio stations. Maybe they smoked cigarettes and whatever it required, but you just like somebody has borrowed this thing before me. And I remember there was a moment where there's a, probably, I would say, the weirdest thing that we borrow all the time, and we may not even recognize it, but how many guys are, have been ever scared of the dark? Raise your hand, just been scared of the dark. How many guys, if you were to be honest, you're still scared of the dark? I'm going to be honest, I'm still scared of the dark. Let me have to take out some trash at 11.32 p.m., I won't let my wife see that fear and trepidation in my soul, but I'm running tiptoeing with that Glade bag and dropping it in. You see that ninja raccoon at the garbage can with a switchblade. Ha! Like, I was waiting for you. I hate that. It's scary. You're laughing because it's true. You're like, that's right. Them raccoons will get you. Animal ninjas. I can't stand them. Um, but one of the things when I, I know that we can actually eliminate fear is when you have to go with someone. You ever been in that moment where you're scared of the dark and you're like, I'll go if you go with me. My kids do this all the time. Like, I'm not going in there, but if you come, I'll go with you. And I love that because a real friend will let you borrow their confidence in a situation where you may be weak. See, sometimes you're not always looking to borrow something that's material or physical. There's some things that you sometimes have to borrow that are unseen. Sometimes I would even believe that sometimes you have to borrow someone else's faith. You see, faith is not just, you know, an assortment of beliefs and laws and religious rules. Faith is our confidence in who God is and who he says he is, but also who God, what God says about us. See, when we talk about the Christian faith and following Jesus, it's not only what we believe God to be, but we actually take into consideration and we take it as, as, as life of who God says we are, that God says we're sons and we're daughters. And there's moments where we have to borrow some things that are unseen. I remember the last time I saw a scary movie, true story. I am not a scary movie person. I don't know why I'm sharing so much stories about myself. I feel like this is a counseling session right now. But I remember last time I saw a scary movie, it was called The Ring, The Circle, or whatever. It was this sweaty chick coming out of wells, killing people. It was really ridiculous. Have you guys ever seen this, The Ring? Why? Why did we spend money on that? Terrible. But I remember I came home, and I was so scared. And I was with my friend, and we both were scared. And I remember we were sitting in his living room, and we're like, bro, we don't know what to do. 
So we turned on the TV, and soon as we turned on the TV, the static like took over the television, and in the movie, that was like the sign that the sweaty girl was about to kill you. So we start freaking out, and he was like, I gotta go to the bathroom. And I was like, I'm coming with you. He's like, there's only one toilet in the bathroom. I was like, bruh, you better scoot over there. We're getting in there together. And I remember he literally went into the bathroom, and I waited outside for him to come out of the bathroom. We were playing like country Christian songs. It was ridiculous. But I was like, whether you like it or not, I'm about to borrow you for a second because I know that if that sweaty girl comes out of that TV, it's over. It's a done. It's a wrap. But I love this is because I believe that, that we are on a quest. In order for you to live fulfilled, at some point, you're going to have to borrow someone else's faith. At some point, whether you even know it or not, you did borrow someone else's faith because the reason why you got here is because 100 or 10 years or five minutes ago, someone said, hey, there's a church or there's a God that you need to check out in someone's faith you borrowed. And that's what actually positioned you to get here. We can't hold it. This thing of faith. Sometimes you can't just carry it alone. You cannot walk by yourself. And when you do, that's when anxiety actually grips our hearts and we become paralyzed. And that's what's going on with this man. When we look at him and we see that he's trying to get to Jesus, but in his own ability, he is inept. He is incapable of getting to Jesus. Why? Because he is paralyzed. And we don't know the trauma that has impacted his life. We don't know if that he was working a blue collar job at a construction site and unfortunately he fell and broke his legs. And one of the things that you have to understand that if you were paralyzed at this point in time, you were literally ostracized. You were excommunicated from community. Your life was reduced to just being a beggar. There was no other option. There was no healthcare system. And so you would literally just stand at a corner waiting with hope that someone would give you a little bit to keep you going. But these friends, these friends have something in their heart where they see their paralyzed friend and they say, what if? What if we get on this quest together and we carry this man to Jesus? He can't get there by himself. And what if God is positioning you and your family and your friends and your cubicle that someone in your community can actually borrow your faith? Because they may not even be aware of it. But paralysis of the trauma of their life has actually stopped them from getting to Jesus. And I love this is because Jesus begins to go on and he begins to teach and he begins to preach. But one of the things that I want you to understand, the big idea is this, is our quest is not fulfilled by what got us here, but who we need to get us there. That we all need someone in our lives. And the first thing that we see is that this is that a crowd can never take you where a friend can we live in a culture of crowds. And if you look at in the first few verses of four, Mark, Mark two, verse four, it says, since they could not get to him, to Jesus, because of the crowd. You see, we're in a crowd right now. And how many guys love crowds? Because crowds, you can kind of hide, you know what I'm saying? You come in with all your stuff, you're like, nobody know me, and I don't want to know anybody. Awesome. Getting some popcorn on my way out. Deuces. Crowds can be incredible. And we live in a culture of crowds, whether it's on Reddit or in the comments. We have so many crowds. And the thing is about crowds is that crowds can actually create isolation. Because you can have the, the perception that you're in community, but unless there's true involvement and engagement, you're just another person. 
But the moment there's a threshold from becoming a crowd into becoming a friend that we all have to cross over. And if we're truthful, if we're honest, crowds can actually create comparison in our hearts. Because those that are closer to something, those that are closer to Jesus, those that are closer to God, those that are closer to the fulfillment or the thing that we, which we believe we deserve, it creates comparison in our hearts. Why? Because God never created us to live in crowds. He created us to live in community. And here the thing is the crowd actually hindered this man from actually experiencing the life-giving power that is in Christ Jesus. And this is what you have to understand. This is what I have to understand is that I need a community. I don't need a crowd. I need a group of people that if there's a moment of, of deficiency, if there's a moment of brokenness, I need someone that knows my name and knows my number to say, I know you can't get where you need to go. I will carry your mat. Just give me a corner. See, I don't need you to take all of my burdens. I just need you to take a limb. Just grab a pinky toe. Just help me to get to Jesus. And I love this is because these friends identified something. They looked at their friend. They looked at their crowd and they made a decision. Are we going to allow the limitation? Are we going to allow the crisis? Are we going to allow the trauma that he's experienced to stop us to fulfilling the quest? By no means. And they pressed through the crowd. See, there's moments where we see Jesus constantly responding, not just to a large crowd, but to the one that just pushed through the crowd to say, Jesus, I'm desperate for you. You see, there was just something in, in even this paralyzed man that he had to borrow the faith of his friends. There was a desperation inside of him. And he says, I will not, we will not allow you to suffer any longer. We got to get to Jesus. The second thing that we see is this. There comes a moment where we all need to borrow something. And it says this, it says, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it, and then they lowered the mat, the man, the mat the man was lying on. Get this, it was a roof and it was, you know, a small home at that time, and it was probably straw and hay and mud, and they literally were ripping into the roof. So Jesus is like, I'm the son of God. More bread, more fish. I mean, I'm just joking. Sorry. You're like, is this blasphemy? No, I'm just talking about the miracles of Jesus. So Jesus is teaching. And without a delay, these men start breaking through the roof and they start lowering their paralyzed friend in the midst of the church gathering. So Jesus just stops and he's seeing the rubble. He's seeing the things kind of fall down, the debris from the roof. And he's like, what is going on? And all of a sudden, this paralyzed man is lowered down right in front of Jesus and everyone's looking at him. What's up, you guys? <laughs> and Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. Now, if I'm the paralyzed man and we've ripped the roof off the mother, <laughs> I like to bring it right there. Sorry. I like to come right to the edge, do a little dance, a little shimmy, a little cha-cha-cha slide, step to you, and then I come right back. If you're going to be a part of this, you get, just get ready for it. They tear the roof off. And they lower him down. And Jesus goes, your sins are forgiven. If I'm the paralyzed man, if I'm a friend, I am upset. <laughs> Jesus, the, the forgiveness thing is cool. But we did not just rip the roof off for you to forgive his sins. We want him to be healed. But Jesus sees something totally different. Because you can be healed for a moment, but guess what? You're going to die still. 
But if your soul, the condition of where you draw strength from, your identity, Jesus begins to speak to this man's identity, not just to his trauma, because your identity will last longer than the trauma because you can get healed and get sick the next day. But Jesus says, if I can change your identity and help you to recognize that you are no longer bound by your paralysis, you're no longer bound by that relationship that was abusive, you're no longer bound by those religious parents that tried to indoctrinate you, but there's healing that can come to your soul that even if you never get up your soul can get up and find rest and peace and life and joy in God and Jesus says I'm just joking with you I'm not just going to heal your soul but I'm going to heal your body as well and he begins to get up and walk but I love this is because what, what these friends model is what we need in our lives we need a group of people, we need a community that will not allow ourselves to drift according to trauma. You see, I would say this, your friends determine your future. You can tell a lot by a person, who they follow, what they like. It's an indicator of what's really going on in their lives. And if we're honest, a crowd or even a group of friends can determine the current of your life. And if you're not aware, you have a group of friends that can actually move you further away from Jesus rather than closer to him. See, friends are extremely important. And what I'm saying is specifically not that you need to be like a five-year-old at kindergarten for the first day of school. What I'm saying is, is this. We need to determine in our hearts what kind of community that we're going to be and what kind of community that we're going to create. And I want people that can come into these doors that have been broken and hurt by the, by the world and they can find a place, a group of people that would say, we love you where you are, but we won't allow you to stay there because every time you come in, we're trying to get you closer to Jesus. So we're willing to rip the roof off. We're willing to do whatever it takes to get you where you need to go. You see, the Bible says this. It says, stay away from a fool for you will not find knowledge on their lips. You see, there's some friends that you have in your life that you're borrowing the wrong thing from. You're going to the wrong well of resources. And I remember in my life, there was a moment in time where I had a group of friends that actually caused me to jump off a roof. Dead serious. Now, I'm always a little, I've been big my whole life, chubby, cute, but chubby, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> and I remember one time I had some friends, they were lighter than me. More ways than one, I'll just leave it at that. And they all got on the roof and they're like, we're going to jump off the roof. Not rip the roof, we're going to jump off. I'm like, cool, that's good, you should do that. I'm not, I'm scared of heights, don't like it. They climbed up the roof and they jumped off of a roof onto a couch. Why, you ask? I still do not know for fun. But I remember because I got caught up in the current of my friends, I too climbed up on the roof. And they thought I was trying to commit suicide. People were calling the ambulance. They were calling the fire department. There was like this large Negro is stuck on the roof. He does not want to, I don't know what he's doing. He's trying to kill himself. But I too got caught up in the flow and I jumped off of the roof, almost broke both of my knees. I still struggle to this day because of one moment I got caught up and the wrong group of friends. And if we're, not, if we're not careful, we'll jump off into an abyss of destruction, of repetitive behaviors, because we have those friends that actually carry us further away from the quest and the fulfillment of God, rather than causing us to complete it. You see, I love this, that their collective faith turned into a selective miracle. Never underestimate what we do in this gathering. 
Never underestimate what we will do in small groups. Never underestimate the power of joining together. There is exponential power when we collectively come together as one and we say, God, use us for your kingdom. We let go of our selfish ambitions and our desires and we say, God, leverage whatever is in me so that someone else can experience what I've experienced and what we do together can actually highlight where God can show up in an individual's life and bring a miracle in into their life, causing life to flow. You see, we see it in all these television shows and all of these movies that the kind of people we need in our life, we need a Corey to our Sean. Boy meets world. Anybody know about that? Okay, moving on. We need a Schmidt to our Winston, a Meredith to our Christina, Grey's Anatomy. Yeah, I know. Probably shouldn't watch it. R2 to our Luke. We need a Sam Wise to our Frodo. I love this from Lord of the Rings. Sam Wise says this. He says, Come, Mr. Frodo, he cried. I don't know. That's my accent. He says this, I can't carry it for you, but I can carry you. That's the kind of community that we want to create here. I can't carry what you're going through, but I can carry you. You see, I want people in my life where I've hit that threshold of crisis where I need prayer. And if you want to find those people, it's actually really practical and simple for us, for TFH Oakland. And this is not a sales pitch, but it's the power that happens when we collectively join together. Every morning you show up and you see people hanging up signs and banners and checking in kids. Wow, that's our dream team. Because collectively, we can create a selective miracle for someone to experience God. You want to be around good people? Join the dream team. Hey, there's some people in this room right now. You've been borrowing faith for too long. Now it's time for you to create a space for someone to borrow your faith. Now it's time for you to step up into that place of ministry. But because of fear and your trauma, now it's time to open up your home and say, hey, I want a small group. Anyone can come over. I'm going to position myself. Why? Because this is going to be a space where the paralyzed can become free once again. And the third thing that we have to do to get around the right people is this. Don't hide the hurt. See, if we want to create a community of family, there comes a point where you have to actually open yourself up to people. You have to actually engage with people and say, yeah, I've walked through that or I'm walking through that. But what happens is this, is Jesus said these words. If I can have the band come up, Jesus said these words. He says, our father in heaven. He says, if it's like a door in heaven that you knock on. And he uses this example in the book of Luke. He says, what friend do you have that you can borrow something from? He says, let's say it's midnight and you have some people coming over to your house. You rent an Airbnb, you party it up, and you realize that you left the bagels and cream cheese at home. And he says, will you not go to your friend's house and knock on the door and says, we need food because we're having a party. And your friend may even dismiss you, say, I don't have time for you to borrow this. I don't have time. My kids are asleep. My wife is asleep. I'm asleep. Go away. But he says, if you continue to persist, if you continue to knock, won't your friend get up? And then he goes on and Jesus says, isn't it like heaven? That if we have God, who's our friend, if we continue to knock on the door and inviting God into the trauma and the situations of our lives, will not God come and open the door and says, I have everything you need. But here's the thing. We are too busy knocking alone. What if we just say, God, I'm not going to knock alone anymore, but my marriage is broken. And rather than me trying to figure it out in my own strength, there's got to be somebody in the house of God that has walked through this with me. And I don't want to knock by myself, but I need other people to say, God, can you come and resuscitate this thing that has been broken in my life? Don't live this life alone. 
See, as a pastor, it doesn't mean that I'm exempt from pain. It just means that I have to help others while I'm walking through it, which I believe that's what we're all called to do. Because there's been moments in my life where literally my wife was pregnant and we got kicked out of our apartment. Not for no shade, not because we didn't pay no bills. Get it straight. I'm a good steward, okay? But because of transition and change, my pregnant wife, we had to sleep on the floor of our best friend's house. And as I looked at her, I was like, babe, I never want to do this again. But I had to borrow faith, not only from my friends, but from my wife. And we had to walk through it in that situation together. There was a moment where we were in a hospital room. And they said there's no longer a heartbeat. And hit, getting struck with that trauma and that anxiety and feeling like I have nothing to give. But I was welcomed by friends and a community of people that recognized what was going on with me. And they began to go to God with me. And they began to pray. And they began to knock on the door and say, God, bring strength to the Moors. God, bring life into them. God, restore the joy of their salvation. And there was no way that I was able to get to God without those that are with me. And even yesterday, I had the huge, huge honor. You see, there's, I've borrowed someone else's faith for a long time. At some point, it has to become personal for yourself, though. That I remember when I was 16 years old, I came to church because there were girls. And I was like, I hope they speak in tongues, and I hope they speak in tongues with me at this church. Some of you, that's why you came here. Like, I saw the Instagram. Oh, yeah. I like this church. But I went to church for all of the wrong reasons. And I came to the altar and somebody knocked with me, told me the gospel that Jesus loved me and he would forgive me of my sins. But when I left, I didn't go home by myself. There was a family that says, you can jump in the minivan with our kids. They began to adopt me and pour into me and they carried my stretcher to Jesus. And yesterday, I stood by my spiritual father's bedside with all of his sons and his adopted sons and daughters. And literally, we watched him breathe his last breath and go to be with Jesus. And this was so crazy for me because it was surreal to see that his whole life was leveraged about carrying people to Jesus. I looked at his wall and there was pictures of different kids that weren't his kids families that were created just because they created a space in their home and couples met and gathered. And it broke something in my heart. I can't say that there's not pain. But I remember there were these moments where we literally would just hold each other and break down and cry and weep and sob. And then I, I got to thinking about today. What about those people that are going through but they have no shoulder to lean on? And something in my heart says, if God created a minivan for me, this chubby, cute kid to go into and experience family. One day, I want to create a place where people can do the same. Today, maybe you are paralyzed spiritually, emotionally. Jesus wants you to know that he can forgive you of your sin and your shame. And he can bring life to those areas that are broken. And there's also another group of people that maybe it's time for you to reattach yourself into community. Maybe it's for you, it's time to grab a corner of someone else's stretcher and say, I'm gonna help them get to Jesus. I would even ask that you would prayerfully consider that there are people in your life right now that you would even begin today to start praying for and that God would use you to rip the roof off the very thing that separates them from God. 
more information on how you can stay connected, follow us online or visit tfho.church. 